joining us at this very moment. Uh, as always, my name is Michael Becker. I'm the Director of Operations here at Sacred Heart, and I am joined by our wonderful pastor, Father John Ecker. Thank you, Father. Man. You want to start us off with a prayer? I do. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your countless gifts, and our thanksgiving is itself your gift. We ask you to be with us this afternoon as we continue to work our way through the catechism, to know you more and more, to know your great and gratuitous love that you continue to pour out upon us. Help us to receive that love and to in turn share that love with everyone whom we encounter. And we ask this through the intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Have mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary. Pray for us. Saint Joseph. Pray for us. Saint John the Baptist. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And the reason I mentioned Saint John the Baptist in the mini litany of saints today, uh, as we film this, it's June the 24th which is the Solemnity, which is the highest of liturgical feasts of the Nativity of St. John the Baptist. And one of the best things about this, I've gotten to preach on it twice this year because we had the Vigil Mass last night and the Mass today. Uh, but if you look at the calendar, one of the just awesome things about this feast that I love so much uh, is the fact that today, you know, it's like the, the light is beginning to decrease in the world. And then six months from now, we will be at Christmas when the light begins to increase. And just as St. John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. Just one of the many beautiful things about our faith and just the way that it works throughout the calendar year. And we celebrate the birth of St. John the Baptist as the light in the world begins to decrease. And it makes way for the true light that enlightens every heart. Who is our Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ. And... Uh, Speaking specifically of our Lord and uh, his priests, uh, just Michael and I were talking about this before going live here and just thought we could share with you just a little bit. And if we still seem to be maybe dragging a little bit physically, a little bit tired, we are coming off of, uh, I think, one of the best weekends we've had in a long time here at Sacred Heart. Uh, and that was the ordination weekend of our good friend, Father Joseph Waswa. His ordination was this past Saturday on June 19th at uh, St. Mark's in Huntersville, and uh, just a beautiful ordination mass. And I will just say, as the proud pastor that I am, that I think like half of that church was Sacred Heart parishioners. Definitely. Which is so And great. the other half was Father Sanchez's immediate family. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, between those two, we filled one of the bigger churches in the Diocese of Charlotte. And, uh, I mean, you talk about just uh, a great celebration for our little buddy, Father Jose Grande. And, uh, and I'm, I'm telling you, too, if you don't know him yet, I hope that you do get to know him. But Father Miguel Sanchez is a wonderful addition to our diocese. I'm so excited that he's here. And then on Sunday, here at Sacred Heart, we had the first Mass of Thanksgiving for our own Father Joseph Waswa. And it was just an incredible day. And I gave Father a little bit of a hard time about him getting to preach the first Mass. <laughs> Notice he even gave a little jab at me, mentioning the Director of Operations in the homily. If you haven't heard the homily, it'll be up on SoundCloud not too far in the future, so you can listen to it. But I feel a little bit bad, because it was a fantastic homily. So I gave him the jab before I even knew what the homily was about, and then I ate my own words, because it was fantastic. 
I really appreciate it. And I got to tell you, you know, talked a lot about it. Michael and I were just talking a minute ago and getting to talk to parishioners. It was one of those things where I just said to Michael, it's like it's it was sort of like a perfect storm of all these beautiful things going on. We had an absolutely jam-packed church. And mm -hmm. just so you have an idea of, you know, like sometimes the way we kind of measure how many people were there, uh, I set it up with enough uh, ciborium full of hosts as though it was Christmas Eve, which is like the most busy we get, and we almost ran out of hosts. Uh, I mean, so we were packed to the gills. People were so good and so just attentive and on fire and just the reactions in the midst of the homily, especially when I got to welcome everyone and say, and Father Rossi, you know, <laughs> so to get to do that and everybody just you know, being there and praying for, for Father Waswell and getting to preach to him uh, with everybody there, it just was so beautiful and Father's, uh, you know, seeing him celebrate Mass the first time. It's just, it's so good and so incredible. And, um, you know, one of the, the things about an ordination weekend, I like to tell people, it, it's kind of like a, a, like a wedding weekend, except like at least double that because the ordination day is huge and all this stuff going on. And then you have the whole first mass day and the receptions that go with that. And I think part of the difference is when it comes to a wedding, you know, you come together, the couple comes together, we celebrate the couple, but then the couple now belongs to each other and they go off, you know, like they are now on their honeymoon or they're off to be as a couple. The thing about an ordination weekend is it's almost like, okay, you're with your family. I remember processing in as a deacon at my ordination mass and I sat next to my mother for the last time. And when they called my name, you know, those to be ordained, please come forward, you know, John Eckert. And I remember like squeezing my mom's hand and standing up saying present and I've never sat with my mom again. And I know it sounds dramatic, but it's like all of a sudden you as the priest now belong to the church. And as I said about Joseph, and it's half joking, they will eat you alive. And, you know, and he gave, I don't know how many hours of first blessings on Saturday, on Sunday here, and, and all the people worked so hard to make the reception so beautiful. It was just, it was incredible. And I'm dragging because of it. <laughs> yeah. And that Saturday, those first blessings went a long time. We were not at the end, but we were kind of waiting to see when the line died down. We were there for an hour plus waiting yeah. for the line to die down. And when we left, there was still another 20 or so families behind us. I, the McBrides were the last one in line when we were standing there. I'm sure people jumped in behind them, but maybe they were the very last people. I don't know. But, I will put it this way. I don't think he left St. Mark's until like 345. Which, I mean, that's saying something. That's a long Considering time. the fact that the ordination mass was at 10. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a big day. So just awesome, um, beautiful to be able to, to share that together. I'm just so proud of the parish for really coming behind him and, and supporting him so well. And I'm grateful to his family in Uganda for being so generous with their son. And just, yeah, just a banner weekend. It's been awesome. And if you didn't get to participate in all those liturgies, we understand they're quite long. But the I know Catholic News Herald has released a lot of really cool stuff from the ordination. Oh, they good. released like a highlight video on their Facebook page, a lot of pictures, a lot of really beautiful pictures. And then the first Mass for us was live streamed. So actually, if you scroll down on Facebook a little bit, I'm sure you can find it there. You could watch the whole Mass from the live stream. Like I said, I'll put the homily, cut the homily out. So if you just want to listen to the homily, you can do that as well. There's ways that you can go back and relive that. And I'm sure... Father Joseph will enjoy looking back on those things in years to come when he's 
10 years a priest and yeah. wants to be sentimental one night. It's so great. And it's funny, this, you know, I was ordained before the age of live streaming, but I do have my ordination and first mass on DVD. And Father Rossi, who's a classmate of mine and I, we, I think a couple years ago, we sat down and watched it. And it's just so funny to see how everyone has aged, <laughs> and especially ourselves. Like, as I, as I said to Michael with the video, with each one of these catechism classes, I get the angle and I'm looking at myself over here on the computer. I'm like, man, I'm going to be bald before very long. I'm cool with it. It's fine. But I do keep mentioning it. Um, but, you know, we're aging. It is what it is. I mean, you know, fine, great. Hair falls out. That's what it's supposed to do. But, uh, you know, to look at that and go back and watch it. The other cool thing with Father Rossi and, and my uh, ordination, as well as Father David Miller and Father Gabriel Carvajal, is we were ordained uh, the, the year before the new translations of the Roman Missal came out. So it was back, um, you know, just the Gloria translation was different. You know, the Lord be with you and also with you. Like, just, just listening to that, it's just so different. Mm -hmm. um, Abbot Plass was there, and Abbot Oscar uh, mm -hmm. was one of the ones who laid hands on us. Uh, I, you know, bet, just, I bet Bishop Curlin was Bishop Curlin there. was there. Uh, you know, so just all sorts. It's it's fun to go back and watch. But it was at St. Mark's, uh, just like Joseph's was the other day. And uh, actually, another fun fact: at Deacon Darren Balky's ordination, it, he was ordained on the anniversary of Father Rossi and my priesthood ordination. And Father Rossi and I ended up like right next to each other in the procession, and we were able to reverence the altar together, which was really cool on the or on the anniversary of our ordination. So, um, yeah, just just good stuff. It's been a lot of fun. And then we got to go right into Totus Tuus this week. So yes. we've had, I mean, just had a lot of fun here at Sacred Heart in the month of June, and it's been incredible. And I'm kind of looking forward to July, so we can hopefully calm down a little bit. <laughs> yes, at some point we will calm down. And if you don't know what Totus Tuus is, come and talk to me. I yeah. love talking about Totus Tuus. Oh. It's one of my favorite weeks of the year. Just loving Jesus Christ, teaching these little kids about their catechism and about their faith and having tons of fun, singing songs, doing skits. It's just an absolutely amazing week. And the team has been doing a wonderful job. And we've been having a lot of fun with them around this week. Tomorrow, Friday, last day, water day. Hopefully, I'm praying that we got the fire truck. I hope so. I hope so. I know we'll John Bogman's been working really hard to get that fire truck. Um, so, Chief Morris, if you're listening, please, fire truck. If we <laughs> don't have it already, we'd love, we'd love to have a fire truck tomorrow, which is always fantastic. The kids love it, and frankly, so do I. I mean, I'm going to put on the swim trunks and the T-shirt and go out there with the water gun. And he booked his whole time. afternoon, so I'm going to be sitting in the office while he's out having fun on water day. It's so fun to be in the priest. I guess that would, <laughs> that's what he pays me to do, so I guess that's what I'm going to do. So. Uh, it's so good. And I'll tell you what, speaking of paying you to do, in the fun, that, that was a really bad transition. I don't know how to do it. Do, how do would we you transition? like to try again? Uh, speaking of water day, now we're going to move into the catechism. Hey! <laughs> speaking of fun things to do. Now, we do love this, and it's, it's so good. And today we're moving into more into the creed. You remember last time we talked a little bit about the Nicene and the uh, Apostles' Creed? Well, now we're going to start going through it, basically one phrase at a time. And, uh, yeah, we got a lot of good stuff on the horizon. We do indeed. So, um, as Father said, we're in Article 1, Chapter 1, and we're specifically looking at the phrase, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. So, as a little bit of a reminder, we're, if I'm correct, correct me if I'm wrong, Father, we are kind of specifically looking at the Apostles' Creed and the 12 points of the Creed as we're moving through the Catechism. So, this is the first point of the Apostles' Creed that we're moving through. And I think it is Apostle's Creed because it says, I believe, whereas mm -hmm. the Nicene Creed says, we believe. 
as we learned last oh, time. Or did I get right. that backwards? That's right. No, no, no. I think you got it right. But it's it was interesting because I still don't completely understand why then with the new translation we went through, I believe, if it was we believe with the Nicene. But, you know, that's fine. It's, hey, it's all good. We're following the catechism today. We are. Not the right of the mass. No, you're absolutely right. Just if we go back two pages. So, there you go. But, it, yeah. It's good. And as we learned last time, that faith is personal, not isolated. So it is personal. We say, I believe. It's not isolated. We all say, I believe, but we say it together. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's great. And thus, some people say we. And as simple as that. And some people still say, and also with you. And I know they haven't been to Mass in 10 years. <laughs> That's really awkward when people do that. I catch that every once in a while. It happens. And it's bad. Yeah. I will say, sometimes when I'm celebrating, um, you know, with the... the the preface dialogue, you know, the Lord be with you and with your spirit, lift up your hearts, we listen up to the Lord. Um, sometimes on that last one, you know, it's right to give, um, it's right to give, it is, it is right, right to, to give, give him thanks and praise. praise. Every once in a while, I throw that out there. It's like, wait a second, what am I doing? But you don't normally say right, that part. Exactly, exactly. So it's like all of a sudden when I'm in that role, like, I guess it's because for the first 28 years of my life, that's the one that I was saying, so... I guess it's burned in there, even like, since I don't say it very often. The hardest part I ever have is when you say Mass and like I'm the only one with you, try to go to Mass solo yeah, and have the priest say the response to you, and you, by yourself, have to respond appropriately. That's probably one of the hardest things that I've done in my life. Try to say it, because it's not the crowd mentality anymore. Yeah. You have to know it and very intentionally say it. And then I think one time you started the Latin... Um, the Latin mass parts, yeah. and I was like the only one trying to chant the Latin mass part by myself. I think I made it through. I'm sure you but did. But I almost fumbled like four times. The very fact I don't remember it is a good sign that you probably didn't make it through just fine. Good, so I didn't embarrass myself too greatly because, you know. <laughs> you did great. I wouldn't worry about it. So back to the catechism. Um, so we're looking at I believe in God. So what we're, what we're doing here and moving forward quite a few paragraphs is we're trying to answer the question, who is God? What qualities about God do we believe in? What makes God, God? So when we say, I believe in God, what does that actually mean? What, what are we believing in? So we go through a lot of different qualities in God. And right off the bat, it talks about oneness of God. I believe in one God. And I think we, I was thinking about this when I was reading the Catechism. I think we take this a little bit for granted. We do. Because most religions that we see are monotheistic, meaning all of Christianity is monotheistic, even Judaism, Islam is monotheistic. Almost every religion we see in the modern world, with the exception of a few, are monotheistic religions. But if you're coming from a perspective of most religions are polytheistic, with the household gods and you know the Greek gods and Roman gods and the mythology that we all learn in grade school and things, if you're operating under the polytheism is the norm and monotheism is different, this would be quite drastic of a change. Um, and so what I was trying to do is when they were, when the catechism was talking about one God, not just to dismiss it as almost old hat in some ways, but try to remember what would this look like for a pagan people who are trying to be taught about Christianity and monotheism. And it's quite drastically different in a change of mindset. And there was one spot specifically that I um, really liked, is that at 201, so this is paragraph 201, to Israel, his chosen people, God revealed himself as the only one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And so think, think if you have a, a polytheistic religion, 
well, you're kind of loving all the gods in some ways evenly, in some ways not. You're trying to share that love. You're trying to split that devotion between multiple gods. And you're going to have your favorites, you're going to have your less favorites, and you're going to be worried about offending this god or giving too much praise to that god. But how wonderful and simple it is that there's one in all of your praise, all of your love, all of your devotion is focused towards one being instead of trying to balance, have that balancing act between multiple gods. And the other thing too, I mean, you just think about it on a foundational existential level. If there are all these different gods, right, they're going to be in battle, sort of, so to speak, of like who's going to be the biggest and the best of them all. You know, I mean, there's always going to be an unsettledness to it where the fact that God is one at the heart of everything, that he, he is who is, and we'll get to that more later on. But it's like there is actual peace, an eternal lasting peace that is possible because he is one God and he calls us to what? As we get this, and, and what Michael just quoted there from Deuteronomy um, is a foundational prayer in Judaism uh, called the Shema that they pray many, many times every day. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, and if I am, I apologize, but um, you'll see this on a lot of households where there will be like a little thing by the door as people leave that they'll kiss, and it's this scripture passage, it's the Shema, this, you know, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And you're supposed to drill that into your children to help them to see this all the time, um, that ultimately like we have our one big goal and focus who is the creator of all things, and as we'll come to see, you know, who has revealed himself to us, who is love himself. Um, you know, yeah, that, that at the foundation of things, we're not worried about a constant uh, fighting amongst the, the circus of gods. I mean, it's, it's an incredible gift that we have, and you're right, we shouldn't take it for granted. Yeah, and I think and looking at it from that perspective is not what we normally do. No. And then Jesus Christ also affirms that, right? Mm -hmm. He basically takes that passage from Deuteronomy and reemphasizes it in um, the Gospel of Mark, right? Yep. Um, and so then, moving along, then we get this beautiful passage where the Father and I both, both independently love this paragraph, paragraph 203. And it's about God revealing his name to us. And we were talking about the importance of a name. And this paragraph talks about the importance of a name. And I was using this analogy with Father earlier that think about your name, right? If you were in a crowd with a million people and I had a really big speaker system and I had a microphone and I took your name and said it out loud, using myself as an example, Michael Allen Becker. The chances of there being another Michael Allen Becker in a million people is probably fairly slim with my first, middle, and last name. So in a crowd of a million people, if somebody said my name, me, and only me, would turn, raise my hand, right here, present. That's a lot of power within a name. There's a lot of power within our names. And so when God reveals his name, he's giving us a certain sense of power. Absolutely. And yeah, we're gonna, let's read that paragraph right now it. because it's fantastic. God revealed himself to his people Israel by making his name known to them. A name expresses a person's essence and identity and the meaning of, the, of this person's life. God has a name. He is not an anonymous force. To disclose one's name is to make oneself known to others. In a way, it is to hand oneself over by becoming accessible, capable of being known more intimately and addressed personally. I just love that too about he is not an anonymous force. 
Because I think sometimes like people are like, well, okay, yeah, there's something behind the universe. And that, but <laughs> that's it's not who our God is. It's not, he's not just like a moving, doesn't want us to know him, um, the God of the deists, so to speak, that, you know, it's like he set everything in motion and just stays away. No, he has revealed his name to us. And in a way, it's like revealing your name makes you somewhat vulnerable. You know, like to, to be able to say, Michael Allen Becker, like I can, I can call him out of the crowd. I can, like he's no longer an anonymous, you know, speck in the midst of this million people group. No, now there is an identity there. There is a relationship that gets formed in the, in the speaking of the name. And the very fact that, you know, God who has created all, who's at the, you know, the foundation of all things, that he reveals himself and makes him vulnerable in this way of making himself known to us. That he doesn't just stay on the outskirts as an anonymous force, but wants to be a part of our lives personally. And I like how they use force here, because I think of like Jediism and yeah. the force. It's very anonymous, you know, it surrounds us and encompasses everything. But it's 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 a force. It's not there's no personality there, there's no personal yeah. relationship with this kind of Jediism. So you can almost use that as an analogy of what God is not, this anonymous force. And a, a fun little social experiment that I usually tell my students when I'm talking about names and the importance of names. My dad has done this every once in a while, and it's always fun to see people's reactions. You know how like you go to the grocery store or Target or somewhere, and everyone always has their name tag on? Like My dad, every once in a while, has used their name. And sometimes, probably about 50% of the time, they react like, yeah. how did you know that? They forgot that their name tag is on, and they're being accessible in that way, which is you know good customer service and things. But they have forgotten, and so they are surprised that somebody had that much power over them in that way. Fun little social experiment. I'm a little too uh, awkward to try that, but I'm sure there are some people out there, Erwin Schmidt, I'm talking to you, um, <laughs> that, you know, fun little social experiment okay. to see that power of the name. Can I tell you, I totally did something like that really? a week ago. So when I was up in Waynesville covering for Father McNulty, we went out to eat with the Totus Tuus team, and we were waiting outside this restaurant to go in. And a, a big crowd came out. And they were probably, I would say, probably like 70s, 80s. And one of the ladies was wearing a, a necklace that said Anita. So I'm like, Anita, I hope you have a great night. Oh, hello, do I know you? I'm like, no, but you've got a lovely necklace. <laughs> I don't know why. That's not even normally like who I am. But we had a lovely conversation, and she was great. She's like, now what are you? I'm like, I'm a Catholic priest. She goes, my husband's a Methodist minister. I'm like, of course he is. And we had a great chat. But yeah, she was wearing an Anita necklace. And she's like, you'd be surprised. There's a lot of Anitas up here. I am surprised. <laughs> it was a good day. It was fun. Anyway. Hey, that's, see, Exhibit A. Exhibit A. There it is. And now Anita and I are lifelong friends. So what is the name, Father? Ah, let's move ahead. So God reveals his name. You'll remember when he reveals himself to Moses in the bush that is burning but not consumed. Um, and, you know, it's sending Moses back to the people. And if you go to paragraph 205, we get the, uh, the quotation from Exodus where, and I'll just read it to you, it says, Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So you get this mysterious name, as the, the catechism goes on to describe in paragraph 206. In revealing his mysterious name, 
and they give us uh, tetragrammaton. Is that how you say that? The YHWH, the, the Hebrew for the name of God. Well, Hebrew doesn't, first, Hebrew doesn't have vowels, yeah. if, I, if so I understand and correctly. That's why I think it's tetragrammaton. I think that's the name of what that, that is. That's seminary education for you. I do not know that one. It's okay. And I apologize if I'm getting it wrong. But that, you know, I am who is, I am who am, or I am who I am. God says who he is and by what name he is to be called. This divine name is mysterious, just as God is a mystery. It is at once a name revealed and something like the refusal of a name, and hence it better expresses God as what he is, infinitely above everything that we can understand or say. He is the hidden God. His name is ineffable, and he is the God who makes himself close to men. And that's the thing about this. It's like, is God close? Yes. Is he infinitely other? Yes. There's a beautiful principle in Catholicism called the principle of both and. That, you know, it's not necessarily a, an exclusion of, you know, either or. It's that both can be held together. Like, God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. And yet, at the same time, he's infinitely other as well. And it's a mysterious name. You know, I am who am. Uh, was uh, Bishop Barron talks about, you know, he is the very act of to be itself. Um, you know, and yes, are these deep, huge philosophical uh, principles and all this? Of course. And in fact, when we get to, I'm just going to skip ahead for just a second. When we get to the end brief, we'll get this great uh, quotation from St. Augustine. Uh, it's paragraph 230 where he says, if you understood him, it would not be God. So it's the incredible thing about the fact that we're never going to completely get him into a, into a box. The way I like to just, you know, put it in silly terms is like studying about our Lord, studying about God is not like any other subject. It's not like, okay, I got this down. Now I'll go learn the piano. It's not like you're going to be set at any particular point. He is infinitely other. He's the very active to be itself. Um, but that doesn't mean that we don't keep trying, that we can't go infinitely more and more into the mystery. That's part of the beauty of looking, of looking ahead to heaven. It's like a perpetual diving into the mystery that is God himself and his outpouring of love. And I mean, we'll come to this more and more today too, but it's the incredible aspect of, you know, this is what his name is and that he's revealed it to us, but that doesn't mean that now we can just sort of put him in a box. It's just, it's, it's awesome. And I don't actually think we mentioned the Hebrew name yet because we've been using I am who am, but it, Yahweh, right? Mm -hmm. So when you hear the word Yahweh, that is the name in Hebrew that would mean I am who am. So in Hebrew, as I was saying, they don't have vowels, so a lot of times you'll see it as Y-H-W-H. And all in caps. And all in caps. So that is the name that we would see in the Hebrew. And now the interesting thing as well, if we take that I am who am, it also makes what Jesus says as a couple spots within his ministry that much more weighty. So in uh, paragraph 211, we actually get a quote from Christ here. Let's see, uh, John 8, 28 in the, um, we got the footnotes, thanks nice. to God, because I don't have uh, <laughs> the Bible memorized. Um, and Christ says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will realize that I am. Now, I think, if I remember correctly, as soon as he says that, the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees like rip their clothes in distress, or is that another part? I think it's another part. I was going to say the other time where he says, I am like this, if you remember on Good Friday, uh, the passion according to John, when they come to arrest him in the garden, and they, you know, and they basically say, I forget, like, are you, you know, Jesus, are you, is it you? And he says, I am, and they all turn around and fall down. And it's just, it's so powerful. It's like, why? He's God. 
Like, and, and it's, it's, it's this awesome recognition of, you know, what's happening there. And then, of course, then they stand up and then they arrest him. But the fact of the matter is, like, what do you think? <laughs> like, when he says that and they all fall over, I don't know. I don't think I could be the guard. It's like, okay, now let's arrest him and mistreat him. <laughs> like, what just happened there? You know, but he uses that I am several times uh, throughout the Gospel of John. Yes, this is one of those times in, in chapter 8. But yeah, I think that's it's one of the things that really grates on the Pharisees because he's, he's, he's God. He's claiming his, his divine edge or his divine nature. And when people argue that, no, Jesus isn't God, I mean, to me, the fact that the Pharisees and Sadducees at the time recognized that he was claiming to be God. Yeah. Now, he was ultimately more or less killed for that mm -hmm. fact, but it was a truthful statement. So if we look at it with that historical lens, as we talked about earlier within um, the Catechism about understanding Scripture, if we look at it from how would the people at the time have understood what Jesus is saying, not, not the 21st century understanding, the present moment in Jesus' life understanding, well, they understand him to be implying that he was God or saying that he was indeed God. Who are we to go back, you know, 2,100 uh, years later and say, nah, they, they misunderstood it. Yeah. No, and there's a reason why the apostles go on to lay down their life for him, because he's God. Okay. Exactly. We should probably get moving. I'm sorry. Keep going. <laughs> let's keep going. Um, let's see. How about we jump ahead to... I was, okay, so we get, you know, just some of these different things about who, you know, God alone is. You get the section, God, he who is, is truth and love. And then it breaks it down into God being truth and God being love. Um, let's go to paragraph 215, about the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances endures forever. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true. This is why God's promises always come true. God is truth itself. Whose words cannot deceive. This is why one can abandon abandon oneself in full trust to the truth and faithfulness of his word in all things. The beginning of sin and of man's fall, and I love this, was due to a lie of the tempter who induced doubt of God's word, kindness, and faithfulness. God can neither deceive nor be deceived, as I think we say in the act of faith. The fact of the matter is like he he's incapable of speaking falsehood. He is truth. So we can utterly trust God. And I think this is a good paragraph to remember if you're a person who is discerning a vocation. The fact of the matter is like God doesn't deceive us. He's not out to play tricks on us. He wants what's best for you. And he's written it on your heart what he has called you to be. And he'll let you know. You just have to pray for that guidance along the way. He's not going to strong arm you into it. But he, he gradually leads us more and more into that. And he is the truth who doesn't deceive us. I mean, by definition of who God is, he, is, he the is the truth, is the truth. So we got all these really deep philosophical understandings here. I am who I am. He is the truth. And then we flip over to God is love. And I'm going to read this paragraph. Please do. 218. And I think I basically underlined the whole paragraph. Go for it. In the course of its history, Israel was able to discover that God had only one reason to him reveal himself to them, a single motive for choosing them from among all peoples as his special possession, his sheer gratuitous love. And thanks to the prophets, Israel understood that it was again out of love that God never stopped saving them and pardoning their unfaithfulness and sins. So from the moment of Judaism, when God revealed himself 
to uh, Father Abraham, as we're reading in the scriptures right now at Daily Mass, there is this sheer gratuitous love of which he chose them to be his chosen people. And we see this all through the Old Testament of him forgiving them and coming back to them and allowing them really to continue to be his chosen people, even though they were kind of crappy chosen people, to be honest, yeah. many times. And this, they're pardoning their unfaithfulness. And then we can equate that to today, pardoning our unfaithfulness. Because we're pretty crappy chosen people. <laughs> we are indeed. That's why we have to have the sacrament of confession. And we fall away from him time and time again, but this gratu sheer gratuitous love is what continues to connect us. And again, if we look at God is truth, he cannot speak falsehood. God is love. He cannot stop loving. By the very definition of who he is, he is a loving God, and he cannot stop loving us, which is so beautiful that no matter how much we fall, he's always going to love us, but we still have to you know, participate and come back to that love. He's going to love us as close as he can possibly get us to be. And I, I remember hearing one time that you know, in this life, we're called to strive to learn how to love the way they love in heaven. And, you know, it's a, and Jesus says, you know, there is no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. And he gives us the perfect example of that love. And, you know, to think about that, that that, that outpouring of the love of God in himself, and I guess we're going to get to that more in a second too, um, but it, it, it pours out and, you know, and into creation. Like God is fine in himself. He doesn't need all of us, but that that love, you know, the, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is, is poured out into all of this. And I'm kind of stumbling over my words, but that's why we're so blessed to have these paragraphs. That they're just, I mean, his effusive, gratuitous love, as it said there. It's just, why else does he continue to put up with our constant infidelities, um, to show us the depths to which he'll go in dying for us on the cross, continues to be present to us in the sacraments, in particular, the source and summit of our faith, the Eucharist, um, he is there loving all the time. And even so far as John to write, God is love yeah. in 1 John chapter 4. I mean, God is love, and that's even written in Scripture. God is very, his very being is love. He is love itself. Um, and so not only do we imply that in theology, it was written down in the Bible, very, very specifically. It's so incredible. And I would just say, if you get the chance, you know, go and just sit with these paragraphs for a while um, and go through them. Because I think sometimes, at least if you're like me, some of this stuff can kind of sound like a Hallmark card. It's like, God is love. Like, thank you. That's, that's just really neat. You know, but, but to, like, look at the implications of that, to look at how that changes reality. So we were talking about before that God is one, that there's not a bunch of warring gods the fact that at the basis of reality is not a fight of good versus evil or these gods versus these gods, that at the very heart of reality is love. <laughs> like, and, and, and once again, him being one, but also Trinitarian, God loving himself, um, and out of that love comes everything. Uh, it's really powerful and so much more than just a Hallmark card. I mean, it is... It's, it's awesome stuff. And speaking about implications of that, mm -hmm. I, I love this little section, the second, Roman uh, numeral four, the implications of faith in one God. Uh, you want to just, just run through them real quick? Yeah, of course. So 
Uh, believing in God, the only one, and loving him with all our being has enormous consequences for our life. One, means coming to know God's greatness and majesty. Two, it means living in thanksgiving. And that's an incredible thing. Uh, I kind of alluded to this in the opening prayer. Uh, common preface number four in the Roman Missal. So like for daily masses when it's not a saint or you just, you know, just go into the common preface. Number four, it says, um, our thanksgiving is itself your gift. And when you think about that, to live a life of thanksgiving, of being grateful for things, uh, that is a happy existence. When we turn in on ourselves and we're not grateful for reality and we think all this is owed to us, because I'll tell you, I think one of the hardest sort of like personality types or person to deal with is the one who's entitled, who assumes all of this is owed to them. You don't want to be that guy. And you know to be around that kind of a person is difficult. We're called to Thanksgiving. The word Eucharist itself means Thanksgiving. Our very act of thanks is itself a gift from God. To be thankful is a wonderful gift. And I remember there was something, I think St. Augustine said it, that, you know, the, the, basically the primal sin of the pagans was that they didn't thank God, you know, and like thanking him for all of existence. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, three, it means knowing the unity and true dignity of all men. Why? Because we're created in the image and the likeness of God. You know, from conception to natural death. And I will say on this feast of the birth of St. John the Baptist, there's so many references of, you know, uh, Jeremiah, you know, before, you know, or when you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. You know, uh, John the Baptist leaping in his mother's womb at the presence of Christ and our Blessed Mother. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, like, from conception, you know, we are loved into existence and how beautiful that is. And we are created from that moment uh, in the image and the likeness of God. And, you know, the very fact that that's controversial is just crazy. I mean, like, you know, if I plant Brussels sprouts, I know that they're going to be Brussels sprouts later. I'm not going to plant them and, oh my goodness, I'm surprised. I just grew an airplane. No, that doesn't happen. You know, if it's a baby in the womb. You know what's coming. You know, you just kind of take the steps back to the beginning and we got to protect them. And it's super important. And we keep praying for the sanctity of all human life because it's a sign of how sad and frankly moving away from Thanksgiving our society has become that that is even a controversial thing. So we got to keep praying for our whole society. But that dignity of all men, we're created in God's image and likeness. At the root of all uh, creation is that love of God. Anyway, okay, the next one. It means making good use of created things. That's right, we're not anti-environment. Isn't that great? God has given all this. We don't worship trees. I mean, Boniface will cut one down if you're going to worship it, right? But at the same time, I mean, nature itself speaks to the glory of God. Uh, the podcast, one of the ones I really like a lot, Godsplaining with some of the Dominican friars. The one that just came out today was about the stars. It's really good. Mm. I, I highly recommend it. But they just talk about, you know, um, the, the part that they used to play in pagan mythology, and then we kind of went all, you know, oh, we're just about science. They're just matter and gas up there. It's like, well, no, they're more than that. You know, I mean, it's it's like the sign of the wonder of God. There's a reason why God said to Abraham, Num count, try to count the stars. Your descendants will be more than them. That you know, He could have picked other things that there are a lot of, but he picked the stars for a reason because they're glorious and, and beautiful. And you know, There's a reason why God used a star to lead the wise men towards our Lord. Um, he speaks to us through the spoken language of nature, and we should take care of it. 
You know, I mean, we don't worship it. It's not more important than, you know, than God. But still, it's, it's one of the ways that he tells us about himself. It's interesting that you say that. So we just had that reading at Daily Mass the other day. And for some reason, I went, why didn't God say the blades of grass? Like, sure. why did he say the stars? And I, I basically came to the same conclusion. Like, well, what's more awe-inspiring than looking at? We don't get to see it because we have all this yeah. light pollution. But think of there, you know, those times when there's no light pollution. I was able to go to um, the basically Key West Islands off of Florida oh, for nice. a Boy Scout trip. And that's the only time that I could basically see the Milky Way. Like when it's so dark that you can see kind of the Milky Way in the sky, that's just so astonishing and amazing. And if there was just zero light pollution, just imagine how beautiful the sky would be. So again, we have to go back to the historical context of there's way more stars up there than we can see. Absolutely. And the other thing they pointed out was no matter where he went in the world, he would always be able to see the stars. Yeah, there's not grass like, everywhere. Exactly, grass or sand or this or that, but it's like the stars are there and you know, you can't number them. It's just, it's incredible. So that's one, I, I would say that that's a beautiful place for just further reflection too. Paragraphs 222 to 226, just that the implications of our faith in the one God. So go back. But then to in 226 and 227, you get these beautiful prayers. Oh yeah. I mean, I love these prayers. Actually, I skipped 227. Yeah, you skipped 227. So in high school, Mm -hmm. in our Spanish class, we would actually say this prayer in Spanish at the beginning of the class. Pray it for us. Oh, I wish I still remembered it in Spanish. Well, no, you can do it in English. It's okay. uh, So in English, 227. This is a prayer of St. Therese of the Child Jesus. Um, Let nothing trouble you. Let nothing frighten you. Everything passes. God never changes. Patience obtains all. Whoever has God wants for nothing. God alone is enough. And so it's just a beautiful prayer. So meditating upon 222 through 226, but then using the and prayer of 227, yeah. and there's also a beautiful prayer in 226, which I might as well read as well. Go for it. My Lord and my God, take from me everything that distances me from you. My Lord and my God, give me everything that brings me closer to you. My Lord and my God, detach me from myself to give my all to you. And I don't know St. Nicholas of Flew. I don't either. That, I know. It's, it's so great. That's a new prayer to me. It's, but it was beautiful. When I read it, yeah. I was amazed at the beauty of this prayer, and I'd never heard of it before. It's another beautiful thing about the catechism is they introduce you to so many different things, just even in the text, in the, uh, the footnotes, and then what they quote. The only thing on 227, I forgot to give you the implication, um, that because we have the faith in the one God, it means trusting God in every circumstance. That's a hard one. And it's funny because in some ways, like, we have the, I would say, the semblance of control. Like, we feel like we're more in control now than probably, like, ever in human history because we have all this technology, right? It's like, hey, we can all get together on Facebook Live, and, you know, I can do this, and I can change this. And, but the sad thing is, it's like we're, in a lot of ways, more afraid than we've ever been of all sorts of different stuff. Trust Him, you know? The heart of reality is God, who is love. And, um, yeah, it's so beautiful. And I would say, too, that middle line in that, that prayer you just read from uh, St. Nicholas of Flew, uh, my Lord and my God, give me everything that brings me closer to you. Just remember, sometimes that means the cross. Uh, because, you know, how many of us only run to him when things are difficult? Make sure that your life is lived in thanksgiving. Don't be the son or daughter that only shows up when you want something. Stay close to him always, because the more you grow in that relationship, uh, the better it is. God alone is enough. And then there's some beautiful sentences in this in brief. 
that's going to be homework because we've got 15 minutes <laughs> and we have to explain the entire trinity now. Okay, here we go. Um, so we dive right into the Father, right? So I believe in one God, the Father Almighty. And so we have to understand the context of the Father in the trinity. We can't take the Father out without understanding what the trinity is as a whole. And then I'm pretty sure then we dive more into the fatherhood specifically. Let me see if I'm correct. Um, sort of, um, sort of correct, but we're looking at the Trinity. So what is ultimately the Trinity? So the kind of the footnotes of it to kind of start the conversation, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three God, three persons in one God. So we're talking one God still, but we're talking about three individual beings whom together make up one, right? Monotheistic God. Now, how does that work? Well, the catechism does the best it can to explain how that works. But ultimately, we'll just sum it up in one way, it is a true mystery, right? There's actually a really good YouTube uh, video that I, I show a lot of my classes. It's from um, a YouTube channel called uh, Lutheran Parable, I think it is. I yeah. forget what the YouTube channel is called. Um, but it's called uh, St. Patrick's Bad Analogies. If you haven't seen it, go onto YouTube, type in St. Patrick's Bad Analogies. Now you're just going to have to put it in the, the I'll, I'll put it in the description in the link below so I we can show it. it. It is, I show this to every oh. single class I ever teach because it's just absolutely hysterical, but it's so good to show how mysterious the Trinity is. So it's, to sum up a little bit, it starts with St. Patrick trying to teach the Trinity and using the shamrock that we all know. And it's a bad analogy. It is. It's, it's actually, technically speaking, heresy to teach God in the way that he did. Now, for our humanly minds that can't grasp the beauty and mystery of the Trinity, that's a good start. But Every analogy that you've ever heard, I guarantee it, every analogy you've ever heard about the down. Trinity, yeah. all break down, and they're all in the end heresy. So how do we understand the Trinity? Well, like I said, the Catechism does the best it can, and I think it's pretty good. Obviously, it's the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. And I would just say, so one thing we talked about briefly before we even went on in paragraph 232, that the faith of all Christians rests on the Trinity. Um, I remember reading uh, C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, where he says that a lot of people encourage him not to even talk about the Trinity, that it doesn't even really matter. He's like, no, 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 it does. It's foundational. It's huge. Like we, and just because we can't totally you know, get it and summarize it, as Michael said, it's like you're always kind of a hair away from falling into heresy because it's, you know, it's, you're, you're doing this or this. Um, nevertheless, like we have to keep trying and we keep trying to express what's going on. Um, and it is the central mystery of Christian faith and life, as it goes on to say in, in paragraph 234. Um, so I recommend, hey, keep diving into it. Keep striving to learn. Keep, keep reading and realizing that just because you can't summarize something doesn't mean that it's not worth learning about. One other little thought. In G.K. Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy, he talks about the person who has wonder versus the person who goes insane. He says, the person who has wonder tries to get their, their head into the heavens. The one who goes insane is the one who tries to get the heavens into their head. And, you know, if you try to do that and try to think that you're going to summarize everything, well, eventually your head's going to crack, you know. But if you just get your head into the heavens and wonder, like looking at the stars, uh, it's a beautiful thing. And you continue, you continue to learn more and more about the Trinity as time goes by. But this is a wonderful start. And the other beautiful thing about the Trinity is that this is one of those mysteries that has to be revealed 
from God to man. This is not something that we can naturally come to a conclusion about. So if you remember in several parts back, we talked about how God, understanding a monotheistic God and the beauty of God can be seen in nature around us. We can get to this by human reason alone. But the Trinity cannot, in paragraph 237, the Trinity is a mystery of faith in the strict sense, one of the mysteries that are hidden in God, which cannot be known unless they are revealed by God. So the Trinity really comes directly from God, who, again, is truth, cannot uh, tell us falsehood. So we're believing what he's saying, mostly from Scripture. And so we see this in Scripture, in the beauty of Scripture, with the relationship between God the Father and God the Son in some of the beautiful revelations that Jesus Christ gives to us in 240, paragraph 240. Do you mind if we go to 236 real quick for a minute? Oh, go for it. Because I really yeah. like this paragraph. Rewind. It's it's Yeah, 236 is a good one. You have to kind of like get out your Greek glasses a little bit, but it's okay. It says this, The fathers of the church distinguish between theology, theologia, and economy, oikoinomia. Theology refers to the mystery of God's inmost life within the blessed trinity and economy to all the works by which God reveals himself and communicates his life. Through the oikonomia, economy, the theologia, theology, is revealed to us. But conversely, the theologia illuminates the whole oikonomia. God's works reveal who he is in himself. The mystery of his inmost being enlightens our understanding of all his works. So it is analogously among human persons. A person discloses himself in his actions. And the better we know a person, the better we understand his actions. So it's like, you know, the inmost life of the Trinity, I mean, we don't, <laughs> we don't necessarily have access, but like we get to know who the Trinity is by the way that he pours himself out. The oikonomia, like the economy of salvation, you know, God's outward works. And it's by his actions that we know him. And I think that has big implications for us as well. It's like our actions matter. Um, you can say, you know, I'm a huge Cubs fan, but when I go to the Cardinals game and cheer for the Cardinals every time, I'm not showing myself as a Cubs fan. You know, I'm I'm living like a Cardinals fan. And that betrays my words. I'm not living like I said I was. And obviously, as we said before, God cannot, like God does not deceive. He reveals himself to us. But it's the same way with us. Like our actions reveal who we are. And we see that a lot of times in faith that, you know, people that come to church, we see them in day-to-day life, and maybe we're driving down the road, and somebody goes past us in road rage, and we're like, hey, that's somebody I sit next to at church. Well, the way you act in your life is revealing who you are. So there's this like weird double standard that we see a lot of times within the Christian faith, but that's different from God, because God cannot, yeah. does not do a double standard. Yeah. He is revealing himself to us. So maybe the question is, how do you reveal yourself out in the world? You know, as Father always says, the priest that you are in the rectory is the same priest you are outside the rectory. The kind of person you are in the comfort of your own home, and maybe the comfort of your own car, might be the is the person that you are going to be outside of the home. And we want to make sure those are the same people. God is incapable of hypocrisy. Unfortunately, we are capable of it. (laughs) And that's where it's important that we strive to be like him and that all of our actions and that it all lines up, that we are who we want to be. Once again, that's why we have confession. Thanks be to God to keep lining those two up all the time. It was nice you said on the road, road raging, not in the parking lot right after Mass. <laughs> in the confessional line, road raging, that's taking too long. Um, probably happened once or twice. Once or Somewhere in the history of the world. Um, so we, we get into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And 
again, the Trinity is can only be understood through what is revealed to us. We cannot understand this through our own nature. So Jesus Christ reveals the Father to us, who the Father is. And I think this is a beautiful uh, paragraph here in 240. Jesus revealed that God is Father in an unheard of sense. He is Father not only being creator, he is eternally Father in relation to his only Son, who is eternally Son only in relation to his Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So again, with this economia, my Greek is terrible, um, we are seeing who the Father is through the actions and through the revelations of the Son. Through Him, He's revealing the Father and thus revealing the Trinity in that relationship between the two. But we're not done yet because we still have the third person of the Trinity to go to, the Holy Spirit. Go for it. So then the Holy Spirit is is the third divine person that is revealed to us through the personhood of Jesus and the Father. So we get a really big, another Greek, right? Yep. Filioque is Greek. Filioque. Filioque. There was a big debate in church history about whether the Holy Spirit proceeds from the uh, Father alone, Father through the Son, or Father and Son proceeds through the Holy Spirit. And that's ultimately what the Catholic Church teaches. That the, the Latin tradition of the Creed confesses that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. That's where filioque comes from. And then this is continuing on paragraph 246. The Holy Spirit is eternally from Father and Son. He has his nature and subsistence at once from the Father and the Son. He proceeds eternally from both as from one principle and through one spiration. That was pretty deep theology right there. It's huge stuff. Inspiration. I mean, you're thinking about the Spirit. Like, I was inspired. Like, I had the Spirit within me to do what this was. Um, you know, so the spiration coming from the Father and the Son. And the thing you got to remember, and part of this that you have to be careful about, it's like the Holy Spirit is not just a second Son of the Father. And that's part of, you know, the roots of where this is coming from. Like, how does this happen? And, you know, we say in the Latin Church, Filioque, Father and the Son, the two of them loving each other and that love being so real, it is the third person of the Holy Trinity. Um, but the way that the Orthodox Church puts that together is a little bit different. Um, in the conclusion of paragraph 247, it says, The introduction of the Filioque into the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed by the Latin liturgy constitutes, moreover, even today, a point of disagreement with the Orthodox Churches. Um, it's, it's one of those like fine points of theology where we can you still go back and forth with the Orthodox. I'm no excellent, like, huge theologian. So I'm not, don't know, like, offend anybody. But as you look at this, it's like, you know, seeing it from the Father and the Son. And sometimes, this is the hard thing, artwork of the Trinity is difficult. Uh, because I think it even says in here later about, you know, God being pure spirit and that. And not that I'm a huge fan of the, the images where it's like, God the Father is a huge old guy with a big white beard, and then Jesus is a young guy. And it's like, from, from the two of them, it's like the breath coming out, and it's like you have the dove of the Spirit. I mean, it sort of paints the picture, but at the same time, it just limps along in comparison to the glory that's actually going on there. I just don't like when God the Father is depicted as, like, huge old man. Yeah. Because once again, I love G.K. Chesterton. He talks about God's eternal youth. Like, we have sinned and grown old, but he continues in his youth. Like, 
every day. He's like, you know, there's no reason the sun has to come up every day. What if it's just God going, oh, do it again, do it again, do it again. <laughs> I, I love, like, he delights in nature. And it's like, for us to delight in things, we have to be young. And I even mean, like, young in spirit, because we've all known people that are, you know, elderly by age, but young in spirit, or maybe young by age, but cynical and bitter. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing, and that's where, yeah, the art can kind of limp along. And the, but the important thing to remember about the mystery of the Trinity is if God the Father always existed, the only reason he is God the Father is because there's God the Son. So thus the Son has to always have existed. But then if the Father and the Son have always existed, and then the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, then the Holy Spirit always existed. So they all must exist for the other one to exist. Now the best analogy Again, this isn't St. Patrick's Bad Analogies, the video I'll link down below. But the best analogy, and the church teaches this, and it's not in these paragraphs of the Catechism, I think we'll get to it later, is, I think, the family, right? Mm -hmm. Through the love of the husband and the wife, through that love between these two human beings, you get a third person nine months later, right? Your little child running around. And so, to me, the family is the best analogy of the Trinity, where the with the two loving each other, you produce out of that love and out of those two people a third person. Now, where it breaks down, obviously, the family doesn't exist for all time, so the child doesn't exist for all time. But if you put it in time, mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you start to see this triangle of persons that through the love with each other create this kind of triune Godhead. And we are created in the image and likeness of God. So, I mean, yes, I think it's, a, it's an excellent analogy. And, I mean, you see it put together a lot of times. The one thing, like just highlighting that word from when you read in paragraph 240, mm -hmm. and that, that word that we can so easily go over, but it's so important. He is eternally Father in relation to His only Son, who is eternally Son only in relation to His Father. That eternally, like there never was a time that the Father wasn't loving the Son, the Son wasn't loving the Father, and the Holy Spirit wasn't there. And... The, the incredible thing about that, once again, it's like the implications of the one God, the Trinity, loving himself, that at the heart of everything, always and forever, there never was a time that there wasn't love, that love is at the center of it all, and it's the self-giving, you know, love of the relation of Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Um, so it, it's like at the center of reality is not like some cold, dark mystery of just nothingness. No, I mean, it is love um, being gratuitous and pouring itself out upon us. It's a not an anonymous force. Not an anonymous it force. It is loved by the fact that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have existed for all eternity means their love has existed for all eternity, which, as Father just said, the universe, everything in the universe, all matter, everything was really founded off of that love. And so when you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, no, another morning, remember that love is actually at the heart of it all. All of it. And it's good to remind yourself when we see somewhat miserable world that we live in right now and all the terrible things that are going on, remember that love started this all. Love is at the heart of it all. God is love. The Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ and God the Father only exist because of the love they have for one another, but that love existed for all eternity. And he pours himself out upon us. And how beautiful that is. It's so great. You know, there's one other part. I'm kind of surprised they don't quote it here, but who am I to... to to question them, and maybe they do quote it somewhere, but when uh, at the Last Supper, I think it's in John 14, when Philip's like, hey, just show us the Father, that'll be enough for us. And he's like, 
have I been with you for so long, Philip, and you still don't know me? If you have seen me, you haven't seen the Father. You know, it's just like, it's, you know, Jesus is the, you know, like, the expression of, like, we get, we get to see him. You know? and, and, and I know, I think, you know, this past Sunday, St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, like, you have not seen him, but you love him. Like, we don't see him in the same way, but, like, we know him. It's like he's given us himself in the Eucharist. That love continues to be present. He continues to give us the Holy Spirit. Inspiration continues to happen. Um, that God continues to reveal himself. It's awesome. Fantastic. And we're out of time, but we finished pretty much right on time. We did pretty darn we well. We were like one paragraph off, but honestly, 249, 250 really should be in the next section anyways. So coming up next month, we'll be doing 250 through 300. Um, so we're going to get a little bit more finishing up the Trinity, and then we're going to talk about what it means to be almighty. Ooh, that'll be fun. We're going to talk about what it means to be creator, and then we're going to more or less wrap up with the mystery of creation, and then we'll go into that in August. So we've got some awesome stuff coming up. Every single 50 pair, every time we've done this, I just get so excited for the next 50 paragraphs that we're going to read, and every time I read it, I want to read it like three times, and usually I started two days before, and I don't get time yeah. to read it multiple times. But... Keep reading along with us. Keep participating in this series. Again, it's recorded, so you've got it on Facebook that you can go back and find it. I take out the recordings and put it on our SoundCloud account. It pops into Apple Podcasts, so if you're a podcast person and want to save that podcast, that pops up there once I put it on SoundCloud. So there are multiple ways for you to continue to participate with us, even if you can't make it live. Share with your friends. And at this point, we've had, let's see, up to 250. So what's that, five of these already? Yeah. So that's like, going pretty well. That's like a five-hour marathon that you could sit down and listen to Father and I talk for like five hours straight. I highly suggest don't binge listen to us. Break it up because there's a lot here. But we're building quite a uh, stockpile of these libraries already. We really are. And, you know, as of, okay, so next time we're going to cover the 10% mark because the last paragraph of the catechism is 2865. So that's kind of exciting. We'll already be hitting 10% of the way through the catechism. And let's be honest, it's not a small book. Um, but I'm finding this really valuable. I love it. This, is, so this has been fun. fantastic. And we, I look forward to it every month. And I get so excited when it's another last Thursday and I get to sit down with my good friend, Father Eckert, and talk about the catechism. So I hope you're enjoying it as much as we're enjoying doing it. And I hope you enjoyed our witty banter at the front of the episode where we were talking about Father Joseph and his first Mass. Because I'll tell you, it's just fun to get to talk about it, and uh, especially here at Sacred Heart for all of you, all of you listening at the parish. Um, I mean, I know I joked about it, but like I really was a very proud pastor. Because the thing is, like that doesn't happen out of nowhere. I mean, our parish has been incredible in supporting uh, my good friend and yours, Father Joseph Waswa, as well as Father Darren Balky and our other Not seminary. Father Deacon. I'm sorry, Darren Deacon Darren Balky. Got it. Got it. You're, you're ahead of yourself. And uh, and our other seminarians, Matthew Harrison and Noe Sefuentes, and Hey, God willing, we'll have more seminarians soon. Um, we had a lot of seminarians here for that Mass. But thank you for all of your wonderful support. Thank you for supporting our families, for being a good parish where we welcome everybody in. And, uh, hey, I'm always looking forward to the next Sunday because it's like a, like a family reunion every week. It's the best. And a so, big gospel this Sunday, too. I know. It's fun. So, ooh, we get a Markin sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful technical scriptural term. Nice. The rising of the synagogue official's daughter with the woman uh, with the hemorrhage right in between. Oh, yeah, because you get kind of the, the start of it, the second part, and then you, yeah, 
A Mark and sandwich. sandwich. All right, yeah. I've not heard of that one. How many Mark and sandwiches are there? Are I there? think there's there's a couple. I don't remember how many there are. That's the big one. Though. But we probably don't get like the whole sandwich. Not very in often. The Sunday gospel. And just so you know, uh, and I'm sure you've already figured this out, if there's ever an option for a short form of the gospel or a long form, we're going with the long form because it's all. I mean, it's like tops. We're talking about ten verses or something. It's like yeah. We're talking about what five minutes more of mass? Maybe. Not even. Yeah. It's like come on. We we can do this. It's it's scripture and it's awesome and uh, we love our Lord and He loves us. And you would not get the whole Mark and sandwiches if we did the short version. You get the bread, but you wouldn't get the meat. You wouldn't get the meat in the middle. So we, we, we want to give you that meat. I mean, it's baseball season. We like hot dogs. I don't know. And a hot dog's not a sandwich. <laughs> All right. So. Bad segue again, <laughs> Father. So let's go ahead and close with a let's prayer. Let's go right to a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Glory be with you. And with your spirit. Almighty God bless you all, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And go in peace. Thanks be to God. Thank you.